0: Have you ever uh, known that you should do something but just didn't do it? Ever, ever. Have you ever known that you should do something but just didn't do it? Uh, That was the case for me this last little bit of snow that we got. What did we get, 10, 12 inches, something like that? And I know... I've lived in Indiana, grew up in Texas uh, till I was 18, but I've lived in Indiana long enough to know that you're supposed to shovel the driveway before you drive on the driveway, right? If you don't shovel the driveway before you drive on the driveway, then tire tracks occur. And when you do go to shovel the driveway, your back will hurt a lot more than it already did. And if you drive on the driveway multiple times and maybe even get stuck in the driveway just for a a little bit of a minute, have to back out of the driveway and run back up the ramp of the driveway again, that location is going to be equally difficult to shovel the snow off of. And... My back could have hurt far less today than it does, but I drove on the driveway before (laughs) I shoveled the driveway. And uh, sometimes life is like that. We just, we, we do things that we know better than to do, but it's just like in the moment, it's like, yeah, let's go, let's go, go to the gym in the morning. Let's go down to Southeast Way Park and take the whole family sledding. Well, you didn't shovel the driveway yet. Well, I'll shovel the driveway later. Later, caught up, and it was it was tough uh, this summer. As I was kind of actually not this summer, I was sitting, but last night I was sitting, kind of pain in the back, and Corbett was helping me and uh, shovel the driveway, and he sat down next to me. He's like, "Dad, my back hurts," and I'm like, "I know, bud. I'm sorry. It's all my fault." And he, we got to talking about some of his favorite memories from the last year, and he said Gatlinburg was one of my favorite memories from the last year. And my wife and I were privileged to be a part of a uh, an alternative North American Youth Congress event in Gatlinburg, Tennessee with Livonia Life from uh, Livonia, Michigan. And we went there with their uh, 20 or 30 young people and we had a blast. And Corbett had a blast. It was the first kind of uh, moment that he was able to be a young person kind of outside of Calvary and get to make friends that he didn't have before. And they still talk about how funny Mitchell is and and different things like that. But Corbett didn't want to go. And so sometimes we do things that we know that we shouldn't do, just, you know, maybe it's not sin. Maybe it's just shoveling the driveway or lack thereof. But sometimes we do things that we don't know we're supposed to be doing. And that's kind of the interesting thing because Corbett said Gatlinburg was my favorite part of the summer, but when we were getting ready to go to Gatlinburg, there was a conflict in schedules and Corbett was like, dad, I don't want to go to Gatlinburg. So I called my mom and I called my dad as I often do. And I'm like, here's the scenario. What's the, what's, what's your recommendation Here's his, and I asked him, you know, I mean, he's 13. I gotta, he was 12 at the time, but I gotta, I gotta start treating him like uh, a young adult, uh, like a young man. Otherwise, he's not going to behave as such. And so I I asked him, you know, what's your logic? What's your reason? And he told me, and I asked some good friends, Brother Healy, uh, a couple of different others. I'm like, what, what's your, and everyone said he has to go to Gatlinburg. So I told him, bud, you gave me your logic. You gave me your reason, but you have to go to Gatlinburg. And he was like, I don't want to go to Gatlinburg. And the whole six-hour trip down there, he was like, mopey. And like, I know, how many parents know when your kids get mopey? It's a little bit of a drag on the entire family. Yeah? So uh, he, he ended up having a fun time. He ended up having a, a really great time. And uh, sometimes we do things because... We know what we're supposed to do, and sometimes we do things not knowing what we're supposed to do in terms of reasoning and logic behind it, right? I like to know the reason why behind everything. I know that I was one of those kids. Why, mom? Why? Why? Wyatt has just gotten over that stage. He's eight, and so somewhere between like the three and six range, it's why, why, why? Some of you teach those children in Sunday school. Why, why, why? Just, just because, right? But we have these two things that maybe we know we're supposed to do, or maybe we, we don't know we're supposed to do, or we know and we don't do. Mark twelve twenty nine says this, and Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment, and the second is like unto it. I don't hear Jesus, in my own brain, I don't hear Jesus taking a breath between those two sentences. There's a period there, but I hear him saying, this is the first commandment, and the second is like unto, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these And Mark does a great job uh, because he's writing to a uh, Gentile audience, most likely. He does a great job picking up Deuteronomy 6, 4 and starting, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. But if you continue down uh, uh, with all thy heart, heart, soul, mind, verse 6 says, And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. And shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thy house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up, and thou shalt bind them for a sign in the hand, thou shalt be as frontlets between thine eyes, and thou shalt write them upon the post of the house, and on thy gates. It's really an incredible thing. And Brother Kilman, we didn't compare notes, you walked into my office and said, hey, uh, what have you got to to narrow down this you know you you mentioned at the beginning it's our life's passion as educators but what what do you what do you talk about i'm like ah, here we go i'm going i'm going to try and talk about passion but not just passion passion for formation and we didn't we didn't ever say the word together but there's a witness here about formation and language creates culture there's a reason that god said you're gonna talk about them, you're gonna teach them, because language creates culture. And much like uh, the talk of Rome, if, we, if you give your, to retweet Brother Kilman here, if you give your kids over to Caesar, don't be surprised when they talk like Romans. Language creates culture. Uh, let's see that slide here real quick. This is an actual screenshot of my text message. A gentleman that I was texting, he, he was witnessing and, and given kind of a Bible study to this uh, Trinitarian. And I'm like, that's awesome. I hope to meet him. Uh, I'm having a good day. And that's what he responded. Can anyone decipher? I actually didn't have the courage to say, I don't understand what you mean (laughs) but best i can tell much love for my boy he was telling me he loved me much love for my boy but the question that we have is what language are we using When we walk into the classroom, are we using language that uplifts and encourages and visions what their future in Christ looks like? That's that's what we have to reflectively ask ourselves. Are we we doing that? And if if we are, how can we do it better? How can we tell uh, a kid who is going crazy that, hey, God's gonna use you? How many of you know who Mark Lowry is? Mark Lowry's got that funny little skit about, uh, you know, one day God's going to use you. Until then, take this pill, right? Talking about being on Ritalin, but that's that's our job as educators is to put into the language what these kids in the Calvary kid classes, what they can be and should be in Christ. Are we creating apostolic culture with our language? I'm, I'm not in your classroom every day, but I see the kids coming out on Sundays, and I can tell you that you are creating apostolic culture in these kids. Keep forming these children keep forming these children because they're going to sit in this section right here as young people in just a couple of years. And shortly after that, they're going to be in young adults on Wednesday night. And short, it's not too long. And they're gonna be standing at an altar saying, I do, and being young married. And it goes really, really quick. And we understand that when we're talking about our kids and our lives and our children. But when we start talking about that 45-minute block on Sunday where the kid comes in and is just screaming, that seems like an eternity. But continually create apostolic families. Pastor, you've given us one of uh, my favorite Language, phrases, we're better than this. I use it all the time. People, uh, my boys, I guarantee you get, get tired of hearing that. Their rooms are, are dirty. You're better than this. Corbett's 13, and so that means he inherently has to leave clothing on the floor. And I walk in, and his dirty socks are smelling up his room, and I say, you're better than this. And maybe Susie is dumping Kool-Aid on Johnny's head and we can say, Susie, you're better than this. And it's, it's not invasive, but it is corrective. And it's not condemning, but it does offer guidance, right? So creating that language of culture that says, I am going to do this and, and, and in a loving way, form them into who they need to be in Christ. But we cannot do this job of Calvary Kids classes without passion. You cannot accomplish what God needs for you to do, whether it's in Calvary Kid classes or in your own home or in your own family or in your own other area of ministry. You can't do it without passion. And passion is the one thing that God really can't provide for us. He can't say, I'm going to drop 50 ounces of passion into Chris. I have to bring my passion to what I'm doing. I have to. Brother Kilman, incredible lesson just a few moments ago. And one of the things that we noted, Sister Shearer, right before is the passion that he brings. If we don't bring the passion to, uh, to our classes, if, if we're not bringing the passion, then it, it kind of just falls flat. And on, on, could have been really good, but we didn't bring the passion a longtime Sunday school uh, teacher by the name of Sharon down in Whitehall, Arkansas. She's like, Chris, I don't really, and she has a little bit of an Arkansas twang. Chris, I don't really know how to teach people to be a good Sunday school teacher, yet she is one of the most dynamic Sunday school teachers in the world. Why? Passion because she understands that her role in Christ is to form those kids' minds and to provide the best possible experience for them to be able to understand what it is that they're teaching from Scripture to talk about, to teach hero Israel, right? It's why she builds a submarine entrance into her Sunday school class. Passion. Because what we might not have in intellect, we can make up for in passion. What we might not have in terms of resources like Brother Kilman, which by the way, I need that resource list that you had. Anybody else? All those books, I need that. What we might not have in terms of, of eloquence of speech, what we can make up for in passion and in prayer through Christ and his anointing that carries us along. Passion. Sister O'Neill, five decades of passionate. Both my kids went through your class, and now every one of these teachers get to just kind of learn from the passion and the experiences that you've had. Wow, passion! What a, and across the room, examples of passionate teaching. It's it's more than teaching. It's it's molding. It's imparting. It's it's that formation. Brother Jared Turner stood on the stage behind me just a few uh, days ago at Indiana Bible College Live, and he said that uh, the scribes who copied the New Testament, that they, they were amateurs, and they shouldn't have been able to do as good as they did, but they had a reverence for God's word and a passion to make it happen. And I'm telling you, when you have a reverence, which every one of us do, I'm, I'm collectively, when we have a reverence for God's word and a passion for children's ministry and a passion to see those kids speaking in tongues. Listen, if the, if the Lord starts moving in the middle of your lesson, Pause. Please, for Wyatt Declan Theodore's sake, pause and say a word of prayer. Because more than all of the things that we can do, more than the programs that we can, we need a move of God's Spirit in our Sunday school classes, in, in our kids' church, our Calvary kids' services. We've got to have a move of God's Spirit. Otherwise, what we're doing is, is almost useless if we don't have God's touch and a sensitivity to his spirit and a sensitivity to the spirit of of the kids in our class, y'all, we've got to have that sensitivity because passion will cause an entire nation to march around walls for a week silently. Picture that. It's, it's a Sunday school story, right? It's a Calvary kids classes story. Walk around the walls of Jericho. This was one, when I was a Sunday school teacher, this is one of my favorite lessons to teach. I'd set the tower up with the tables and, and have them walk around and it was the quietest my room ever was and I loved every second of that quiet, right? Passion will cause a guy named Peter to stand up on the day of Pentecost in reference back to Joel and say, in the last days, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh, right? So we've got to have the passion. We've got to have uh, this, this language thing creating our apostolic culture. It's interesting because I was reading Martin Luther by uh, his autobiography by Eric Metaxas, and I'm in chapter 14, and he says Martin Luther literally created German words. Created German words. Why? Because he he was passionate about Scripture because he was passionate about creating a Bible in the language of the German people. And so when they didn't have words for things like scapegoats, he created a German language, created a German word for scapegoat. We don't dumb down the theological concepts in this book so that people can understand it. We lift people to the understanding of the theological concepts in this book. We we don't water down the the concepts of Scripture so that kids can understand it. We form kids into the understanding. Why? Because we are passionate about that. The interesting thing about that is that uh, Martin Luther solidified the German language high german as it's called today many of the words that he and phrases that he used are still what they speak today why because he brought the the culture of the people up to the culture of scripture have you ever heard a word or phrase that you just kind of instinctively knew what it meant without having ever heard it before for me it was struggle city I had never heard the term Struggle City uh, until an IBC student. That's one of the benefits of working at a Bible college is is you, you learn all kinds of things from your students. Man, Brother Henderson, I'm just living in Struggle City today. And I'm like, I've never heard that before in my life. But I knew exactly what they meant. I had been in Struggle City before too. I didn't even know I was living there. But what we get to do is as educators, as Sunday school teachers, we get to give kids a language and an understanding that they would have never known before. We get to offer them the words to say how they're feeling. It was so beautiful when we were talking about the ABLE Ministries and how standing in front of the monitor, the kids who are maybe in verbal, they, they can't communicate with their words. They can communicate with their bodies and they clap their hands and they raise their hands in worship to God. And, and that's incredible. And we get to do the same thing for those who are able to, to speak and to offer them language and to say, this is what we believe. Scientists have done studies on on birds, and uh, they say that every bird is born with a song template, a song pattern in their lives. Every every bird inherently has a song, as it were. And the, the trick with these birds is that if they don't hear the community singing around them, they pick up maybe a Blue Jay picks up a robin's song and they they can't sing that song. They're incapable of recreating those melodies because it's not what they were designed to do. We, We were designed to be Bible believers, designed to be apostolic, designed to bring praise and worship and adoration to a loving God. And our young people innately know what worship is. That's why, Brother Kilman, as you referenced, that that uh, when society reaches for them, it, it's a form of a worship for secularism. But when we offer to those young children the song of the redeemed, and they see the patterned life and they understand what it means when we say, "I give everything to you." I surrender to you. When when we sing that song in their presence, something resonates inside of them. Because if we were, now, if we were created to worship, if we were created to, to have relationship with God, then I'm telling you, there's no other relationship that will satisfy. Living for self is not going to satisfy. But when we bring those kids into our Sunday school class, and we say, this is how we live. That song resonates with them. That service to the kingdom of God resonates with them. So keep modeling. Keep praying. Because our tomorrow church depends on your today work. So keep fighting the good fight. Thank you for everything that you do for Calvary Kids classes. I love every one of you. I pray for every one of you. God's blessings.